Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dreams Unlimited Travel Podcast. My name is John Magi, and I will be your host. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some topics that um, have things that we haven't we haven't covered before. Um, they don't exactly fit into another show. They're not enough of a topic to have their own show. So we're actually calling this the Travel Odds and Ends Show. Um, a little bit of an experiment that we're trying out. I'm joined at the table by our panel of experts, agent consultant for Dreams Unlimited Travel, Tracy Heinrichs. Hi, everyone. Client services manager for Dreams Unlimited Travel, Kevin Close. Hi, everyone. Um, as I said, this is some topics that have come up either in questions from folks or people ask us in general, will you ever talk about this? Or even things that clients come to us and ask for advice on. And again, they're not really enough to do a whole show on this. Um, it's not really enough to expound on past perhaps a few comments on each thing, but we wanted to cover it. And they're also right. not necessarily um, destination-specific. Right. So it's not like, let's talk about Walt Disney World, well, let's cover this topic, or a cruise, let's, let's cover that topic. So we have a couple that um, we want to make sure we get through. First and foremost, a lot of people ask about luggage. I'm always being asked, well, what kind of luggage should I buy? What, what's the best luggage to own? What should I get? Um, luggage in general is a personal choice, obviously. It's a color and style that you like. But a couple of things to keep in mind is uh, where are you traveling to? Um, if you're traveling internationally, you have to have a certain size suitcase for your overhead bin. There are international carry-ons, and I believe they have to be under 20 inches uh, domestic carry-ons are usually in the 21 to 22 inch if you're going to fly. Uh, now, if you're flying from the United States to Europe on an American carrier, chances are you're going to take a plane that's domestic, a domestic plane, and a 22-inch carry-on will fit. If you're taking flights within Europe... Chances are you're going to have to have a uh, an international size carry on, right? And keep in mind that this can vary a lot between airlines. Um, so airlines will have different rules based on what they've decided they're going to upcharge for, or however that's going to work. Also, flying, I know out of Canada, our two major airlines, Air Canada and WestJet. Even between them, there's different you know regulations right. as far as what these can be. So you want to be you want to specifically check your airline. If you're looking to buy luggage and don't necessarily have a flight booked, you may want to check a couple of airlines that you would frequent and just get an idea. And, and, you know, if there's variances in sizes, try to go with the smaller one just to make sure it's more serviceable for... I've actually moved from my carry-on just to our international uh, bag, Mm -hmm. just because I think, first of all, that gets me used to packing that way. You get less, a little less But also, you just, you never know, because there's sometimes, even on a plane... The difference between the overhead on the right side of the plane right. and the difference on the mm-hmm. left side of the plane, you can't get your bag in. Exactly. And the seating configuration can make a difference. Mm-hmm. I, know, um, I fly Air Canada, and there's two configurations to Orlando. One is a three-and-three three seat. One is two-three-two. Two. The size of the bins are very different right. on both of those flights. We so. took a flight from Barcelona to Madrid. I apologize. We took a flight from Madrid to Barcelona on Iberia Airlines, mm-hmm. and all of our baggage had to be weighed at one time. Mm-hmm. So your carry-on fit into your allowance. So you really have to be aware of right. your carrier's restrictions. 
Uh, that brings up my next point. Uh, packing to avoid fees. I mean, we're all very much aware now that airlines are uh, travel are charging for bags pretty much on every step of the way, plus they're charging for uh, packing over the limit of weight. So um, we have a scale at home. We have a handheld scale that you can just check your weight real quick and make sure that you're okay. Um, There are some obvious hints. Everybody will tell you the same obvious hints no matter who you're talking to. They will tell you to wear your heaviest shoes on the plane. If you're wearing a coat, if you're taking a coat to your destination, wear your coat. Many times the flight attendant will take your coat and hang it up, and it's not considered part of your carry-on. In the part of the plane where I fly, just so you know, they don't hang up your coat. So for those of you who fly in the area of the plane where I do, you would just put your coat in the overhead bin, maybe on top of your suitcase. Nobody's going to hang up your coat. When Tracy flies, they use her coat to wrap up the moose and make sure that they're comfortable in the back of the plane. They don't hang up your coat? They don't. I know. And they don't give us dinner. Shocking, I know. Sorry. I know, but you had the good sweet. Um, right. Enjoy your one day you in had the a genie. Yeah. Alan. Um, yeah, so these are some things. One of the things. Okay, you can still wear your coat. Just stuff it up in the overhead compartment, exactly. but it doesn't count, count as towards part your of weight. Your right, what you're also, wearing, keep right? in mind when you're buying suitcases and when you're packing, um, for, I would say 50 pounds is probably the limit for most um, when you're in your checked luggage, except for where John and Kevin fly. It's probably more like 70 or 75. Unlimited. But those of you who check, who fly in the area of the plane where I fly, 50 pounds tends to be the, the average. So when you're looking at suitcases, some of them are very large. So with a large suitcase, first of all, it may exceed sizes because we're talking about sizes for carry-ons. Checked luggage also has maximum size, so you want to be aware of that. And you have a really large suitcase, it's really easy to hit 50 pounds on that. I would tell you, do not buy expandable suitcases. Yeah. Because then it's too much of a... I, it's not going to fit or it's going to be overweight. Right. It's could and giving over. you knowing that that extra is there is going to incite you to use that yeah. extra. And one thing to know as well for most airlines, this is true, it costs more for an overweight bag than it does an extra bag. So, for example, um, if I'm my first bag to check is twenty five dollars, my second bag might be thirty five dollars. But if that first bag was overweight by 15, 20 pounds, I may pay $100 to transport that I've as opposed to $35 to just have a second bag. I've seen uh, the folks at the airport who are checking bags tell people, like you see the people who do that scramble thing mm-hmm. where they move clothes around, tell people, listen, go get a duffel bag. Right. And throw your clothes in a duffel bag, pay for that rather than pay for the overweight. Yeah. So just be aware of that. It's usually less money for a second bag than a heavy bag. You also have to say to yourself, I just have to take less. And I know that's hard. You? Stop. All right. Uh, Stop giving away my secret. Also, along those lines is look for luggage that is lightweight. Right. You know, you want to purchase something that doesn't add, you know, you want room for stuff. Like if you've got 50 pounds and your bag's already taken 15 of that. Right. You know, so you want to, there's a lot of lightweight bags out there now where you can get into something a lot lighter. I do want to give a recommendation. I want to talk a little bit about an experience we had with Toomey recently. Um, We are not associated with Toomey. We do not get any money for talking about Toomey. There's nothing in it for us. Talk about what just happened with one of our bags. We had two experiences. I bought a Toomey suitcase that had a, um, a very colorful 
plastic shell on it, and the plastic shell started to bubble. And I took it back to Toomey, and Toomey gave me more than I paid for it in credit towards a new suitcase. And so I went out and I bought a new suitcase. Uh, we use it all the time and love it. We were in Hawaii and purchased too much stuff, so went to the Toomey outlet to buy a suitcase. And I do not fault Toomey for this. I fault Delta. But Toomey has a very strong policy as far as their luggage a guarantee. I believe my luggage was dropped. And of the four wheels, one of the wheels was actually pushed up into the suitcase and the polycarbonate material had um, creased. And I thought it was Delta's fault. Toomey didn't break my suitcase. Delta did. And Delta forward me, told me that what uh, Toomey's return policy is or their guarantee. And I took my luggage into the nearest uh, Toomey store, which for us is in Millennium Mall. And within 10 days, I got noticed that, again, they gave me a larger allowance than what I paid. I had bought a suitcase in a clearance store, and they gave me the full value of it when it was brand new. And said, whatever you want up to that amount, order it. So my new suitcase is coming tomorrow. So while you pay a little bit more for a Toomey suitcase up front, their guarantee is very, very strong, and they stand behind what you buy. I would tell you that if you do buy a Toomey suitcase, inside there will be a reference number. Go on the website and register your suitcase. That's It makes it much easier for Toomey to know when you bought it and what's wrong with it and if there's a problem. They also have uh, lost luggage tracking based on that number inside your suitcase. So if your suitcase goes missing and it's in a Toomey suitcase, they will help you find your luggage. It's a little more to begin with. I have uh, last year got a new Toomey carry-on. It's the first time I'd had a Toomey. And I love it. And my um, carry bag, briefcase, whatever you want to call it, that I use with my carry-on is Toomey as well. So I'm very, very happy with the product. It is higher price, and it's more than I've ever paid for a suitcase before. I also feel, though, I travel a lot, and I think you guys probably do the same. So my suitcases get a lot more use no, than the average family. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for suitcases, you know, that, you know, maybe you're not wanting to spend too many money, but and you're not. I mean, you may only use them once every eighteen months or two years for a family vacation. There are a couple lines out there as well that are good. You know, Delcy is one of them. Um, I know I picked up some stuff um, from Canada, but so for, but Hudson Bay has a the London Fog line. Mm-hmm. Um, was really happy with that as well. So there's other products out there. I would just tell you the you know the sixty nine dollar four piece set that you get at Walmart is probably not going to make it more than one trip. Right. May not make it the full trip. We actually had so, that experience where we were buying suitcases, I think, once a year. Or one yeah. once every two trips. I would tell you that a Delcy suitcase... Now, I shop at the Toomey Outlet. If you're not near an outlet, that makes it more difficult. But I find that if I go out and buy a Delcy suitcase and a Toomey Outlet bag, I'm paying very close to the same price. I've not paid anywhere near too many prices for a Delcy. Like, Are you shopping I've, at the outlet? No. Yes. Yes. I've seen. But like, I mean, I'm talking like if I go to Hudson Bay when there were, and I know other stores here do the similar sales when, you know, Kohl's or something when they're doing their 50 to 70% off of luggage. I mean, on average, I'm paying about a 
160, $170. I went to an outlet and bought the 32 inch to me extended or travel or checked luggage. And I paid 189. Yeah. We see. Yeah. But nobody would buy it. Like I wouldn't buy a 32 inch because I couldn't take it. Oh, you have just too many problems. Right? I can't no, keep because, up with my problems. You know, I mean, unless if I do it in kilometers, we understand. No, but unless you're flying first class, they wouldn't check a 32-inch luggage is what I'm saying for the average. And that's why they probably clear those out, right? Because I don't think most airlines will even take them anymore. I don't know. Anyways, it's got way too philosophical about suitcases. I thought that was going to be a five-minute conversation. That went too far. I want to touch on uh, power converters. This is something we get from folks who are traveling overseas for the first time. Right to Mike Holland. Yeah, really. He's got some And he will explain it to you. I'm joking. But what I want to point out here, this is, you know, if you're going to go overseas and you're looking to make sure that your electronics are working properly, um, people say, well, do I get an adapter? Do I get a converter? You may need both. You may need both. However, I want to point out the fact that a lot of electronics today, most of the ones that we take with us, are dual voltage. So check your electronics, check your manufacturer. My laptop, your your iPhones, your iPads are definitely dual voltage. So don't spend the money on an adapter if you don't need it. On, on a, a converter. converter if you don't need it. An right. adapter, adapter, all an adapter is, is it's going to change your American plug to fit the country you're going to. And most of the time you can buy an adapter that has several different companies built or countries built into it where you only need one. But you're going to need one for everything you want to plug in at the same time. And ladies, some things like, um, you know, a hair dryer, a straightener, a curling iron, things like that. Typically, these will not, oh, you can get travel versions of these. And I know more and more I'm seeing dual voltage stuff. So that's the stuff you kind of want to check as well. Shavers, I don't think they're all like electric shavers. Um, these are things that you may need a converter for. But I always be tell- aware of the the voltage of the converter. So your average converter, for example, wouldn't work for a hair straightener because it's so much hotter. I usually tell people it depends on how long you're going to be overseas. But if you're going to be overseas more than a week, buy your hair straightener in Europe. It will... I tell people that all the time. Everybody that goes on an ABD with us fries a hair dryer or a hair straightener or a hair crimper. And what happens is then you are out in the middle of the night looking for another one. Just, I think it's worth the, we usually but, find. Like I pay like $200 for my hair straightener. I don't And you won't buy a good suitcase? Yeah, really. I buy, I buy <laughs> very good suitcases. But I wouldn't, I, I don't know that I would be able to find one that would, like, some of these things for us women are very personal. Like I have a hair, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if okay, I would find I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> that leads to questions I don't think exactly. anybody no, wants answers like, to. Like, like a completely different adapter straightener I li- <laughs> What are you straightening? I have a very particular straightener I like. So to just go buy a different one, that would be hard for me. Unless you're picky like Tracy, buy your stuff when you get there. Um, also, too, you might be also want to make sure that your stuff is up to date. Uh, we went on a trip where twice I blew out the entire hotel in Germany. <laughs> and then All brought the that same there. stuff back to the United States and set fire to our hotel room. I did. <laughs> I did. My power strip caught fire. That's the story for another time. One of the things I do want to point out, too, is a lot of people ask about cruise ships. And on cruise ships nowadays, they will have both a European outlet 
and an American outlet. So something to, to, to consider that when you're on a cruise ship is that you might be able to... The uh, problem with a cruise ship outlet it is it's not going to be anywhere near what you want to do. I will say this. The new Disney ships, they've improved that. They have. And put that near the bed. So that's for sure. Like the outlet in the bathroom will be under the counter over like in the corner. And you think that's great. Or across the room. Right. For sure. Uh, speaking of cruises, talk a little bit about shore excursions. We're often asked, should I do a private shore excursion or should I do one with the ship? You guys want to talk about that? Sure. Um, yes. It really is the answer. You could do either. Um, I think there's pros and cons to each. Um, I think if you're doing a shore excursion with the ship, for a lot of people, it's a sense of security to know that the ship knows I'm out there. I'm out there with a group of people from the ship. Chances are they're not leaving without me. Most cruise lines will say, we guarantee we'll wait for you. I've never seen it tested. I can't imagine if the captain has to leave that he would, but I guess he would. I don't know. Um, so there's a security to that, to booking with the cruise line. Um, people feel comfortable. There's a safety to that. Uh, I think in exchange for that, you probably pay a little bit more than what if you had booked a similar short excursion on your own with a private company or just did your own thing. Um, one thing with private companies, I feel like often it's a smaller group can sometimes just be your indiv- your immediate Group, you know, I've done in Alaska. We talked about whale watching. I've done private whale watching excursion there. I've done um, a couple other places. I've done private excursions. I just felt like it was more um, tailored to what I wanted, and we weren't traveling with masses on a bus all the time. So, if you are looking at a private excursion, there are companies out there that do private excursions. I tend to more do some research and find an actual company in the destination I'm going. Mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with locals who tend to have more of an insider track. And it's not to say that the cruise company isn't also using local guides. They, I'm sure they are. It's just a different level of service and usually for less money, especially when you're talking multiple people. Anything you want to add to that? We've had very good luck with getting off the ship and telling, uh, negotiating with one of the drivers at the ship at the port at the port, and telling them what we want to do, and just hiring the car for the day. And because there's usually five of us, uh, where we I'll give you an example. We were on the NCL cruise around Hawaii, and uh, we got off in Morea. And we negotiated a price with this wonderful woman who showed us where she lived. And she took us to a cousin who made hand-dyed silks. And we went to see all of the bigger tourist attractions. But we were about 10 minutes ahead of the NCL bus. And there was a gentleman with a bullhorn. Everybody get off the bus. You have seven minutes. Look around. We were never told that we had a time limit. Uh, She told us at one point if we wanted to beat the bus to the next place we should probably leave ahead of them but we went to places and because we saw the same people over and over again when we got back on the ship the lady said to me how did you do that and i said john went over and found a lady that he thought he liked and negotiated a price with her and we went everywhere she said that would have been so much more lovely than to get on a bus with 50 people and i've done that in a lot of places as well just you know kind of get off find 
you know, find a taxi driver and away you go. If you're not comfortable with that, there are options for that as well. There are companies in most of the big ports of call that you can arrange ahead of time. Right. And that was exactly, you know, those private excursions where you arrange this kind of thing. I've done something like that in Hilo where I arranged a private excursion. Also, when we were on Hawaii, what we did was we rented a car. Every island we went, we had done some research on the things we wanted to see. And we rented a car in multiple stops and just drove and did our own thing. So for a fraction of what right. you know, a shore excursion would cost. Um, the other option, too, is you, sometimes you can go through the ship. Right. We've done that where we've gone through the ship and said, listen, on our next port of call, we would like to have a car arranged. And uh, we need this size car. Right. There's five of us. What tends to happen, too, is uh, because there's five of us, we like a bigger vehicle. And that's right. not always just waiting for you at the port. Right? That's right. A lot of times you'll find the taxis or the smaller yep. cars. So if you want something a little bit bigger, you might have to call ahead for We that. also like to see all of the, the normal attractions that everybody wants to see. But we will say to some, uh, the person driving us, what do you think we should see? Right. You live here. And they'll often yeah. take us to something that wouldn't be on. I've done, very, of all of my cruises, I've done very few official ship shore excursions. Mm-hmm. I just tend to like to do my own thing. Just know that you're assuming some risk and responsibility Absolutely. when you do that. We did that early on. We would do the shore excursions right. with the ship, and then we realized that we didn't need to do it with the ship. We could do it on our own. But and, so I, and for me, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy the yeah. moving with a bunch of people. I like to kind of do things at my own pace. If I really like this, I want to stay a little longer. If I don't, I want to move on. Now, I also we also do tell a person we never we never push the time. Mm-hmm. If everybody's back on board by 5 o'clock, we're back at the ship at 3 o'clock. Yeah, right, exactly. We would never make it an option that we might not get back. We always lose them. All right, let's move on to uh, something that we hear a lot of. When I'm traveling overseas, how do you guys overcome the language barriers? I believe, I'm going to generalize here, I believe that many Americans, this is their number one concern when traveling overseas. Is am I going to be able to communicate? Will I be able to understand people? Will they understand me? And how do I get around uh, overcoming a language barrier? I think in larger cities, you will find a great many people who have a rudimentary understanding of English. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get into small Beyond rudimentary, I think you're I, what to... I meant was they'll they'll be able to communicate. Yes, better than we would in their language. Their English is going to be better than wherever you are. Um, than your version of whatever they're speaking. Uh, I find as you get out into more rural areas or smaller villages, that's not as common. And what I find is if you learn five or ten words, if you learn the basics, please, thank you, um, excuse me, bathroom, the word for bathroom, you can get by. And I find that a lot of people, if you try, they're willing to help you. And I think a smile goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And the knowledge that you are a visitor in their country. Mm -hmm. So while they are appreciative, uh, often because you're in a touristy area, they're appreciative of your business and they're helpful. You are still, you're the one in need. (laughs) So I think approaching with that attitude, um, we've never, we've never had an issue um, we've known, you know, we've been to Italy, we've been to a couple different countries. Um, Chris is really good at languages. He learns a few of the basic words. He's very good at pronunciation and figuring it out. I'm not. 
um, I have an ear for it, but I verbally I'm not very good at it. Um, but he is, you know. So I made sure before we went to Italy, he knew how to order my gelato. <laughs> he knew how to say the flavor I liked. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I learned how to say how much is it in Italian, not thinking that I then had to understand what they said. Right, <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> when we were in uh, Disneyland Paris, uh, they had asked a question, and we, being Canadian, French is our second language. Although many of us don't speak French, us included, we've always taken it in school. And so Chris had respond, he responded in French, and he tried, and he gave it effort, and he sounded really good. And then the guy came back with a conversation, and Chris was like, oh, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I usually so, do that thing where I get like one or two lines, and I go, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. You've got everything yeah. no, I know. <laughs> right, so, but I do find just a little bit of effort, a smile, I think is very important to try to use, learn some keywords to where you're going to be. Please and thank you are. Hello. And you know, now that I've been to other countries, it makes me appreciate more when somebody is in my country who doesn't speak my language. Mm -hmm. And you know, you kind of understand what that feels like a little Mm -hmm. bit. Absolutely. So when Americans come and they don't speak our language, (laughs) right? We don't speak Canadian, right? But you know, when you're, you know, you. You just you get a tall you're not a tolerance but a patience for it and an understanding that Absolutely. you know what it feels like to be another else. thing is if you do a little bit of reading about your destination you might find that there are cultural right differences right um, we've been places where in in the United States when you're done. Somebody walks along and drops a check on your table. In certain places in the world, that's considered rude, that they will not provide a check until you ask for it. Um, Another thing I was told that in certain places, when you walk into a store in the United States, we're all welcome to, welcome to Blockbuster. Um, Not anymore. Now it's welcome to Stone Cold. Right. Welcome to Stone Cold Cleaning. Um, In other countries, it is... The culture that when you walk into a shop or a store, that you're responsible for the initial greeting. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would not approach you for fear of being rude to you. So I think those little things, if you know those, it makes that whole, and I beg of you, I beg of you, do not tell someone who lives in the foreign country, well, in the United States, we do it this way. Exactly. Very, very rude. I also want to address one more thing when it comes to language. A lot of people are uh, interested in these apps that translate for you. I kind of find that rude. I personally think that that's rude. I think it is in most cases. I think I would only use it if I was in a situation where I was lost or I really needed help that I could not get across. Like I've not been in a situation yet where – between that person's right. limited English and my limited understanding of their language, we couldn't figure it out. But I think I, it would, to me, it would be a last resort. Extreme. Well, yeah. if you go out and buy one of those, um, those language, or you get a language app where you're going to I try and learn the language, language apps are okay. they don't spend a lot of time on the rudimentary stuff. Right. Before you know it, you're into, you're looking for a two bed hotel room for two nights, but you and Sylvia are going to split the cost and she needs a place to park. And you think, whoa, I just wanted to say, how are you? I just want to know how to get my gelato. <laughs> we were in Italy and I tried to get a piece of cake, a piece of cake and a scoop of gelato. And I was going to end up with the cake or the gelato on top of the cake, no matter how it was. So I tried to, was trying to explain to the young lady behind the counter that I only needed one container. 
that I was going to put the gelato on top of the cake. About 30 minutes on, John grabbed me by the back of the collar and said, take whatever she offers you. I'm leaving. And mashed them together in the hotel room. Doesn't really matter. I got a little bogged down in the details. Um, You touched on the bill coming. I want to talk a little bit about tipping. This is the second biggest thing that causes people the most anxiety when traveling to a foreign country. Let's talk a little bit about folks who come to the U.S. from someplace that they're not used to tipping. Uh, First of all, don't listen to other people and this is the rule and you do this much and you do that much and you do this much. Nowadays, when you come to a place that is used to having tourists visit, on your check, at the bottom of your check, will be amounts that they feel is appropriate for you to tip. So I think people get caught up in the, I have to have my calculator and I have to figure out what 15% is and I have to subtract out the tax and all this stuff. I think that people understand now that you're coming from someplace where you might need that little bit of extra help. So it's a little bit easier for you. Um, You know, and it's, tip is, you know, what the word implies, which is uh, additional for service, for good service. So that's something that we tend to have a little bit of a fluid uh, understanding with here in the U.S. and that the amount can change based on how well our service is. Um, anything about that that I didn't cover? Again, I, just, I think you should read uh, ahead of time what the culture is. Where well, I didn't get to that yet. This I'm talking about coming to the U.S. from another um, country. So don't you know freak out if you're not exactly doing it right. But again. The biggest difference is that in the U.S. we have positions that rely on their tip as part of their salary, where in other countries these folks are being paid to do the job and it's not expected to be tipped. Mm -hmm. Going the other way from the U.S. to other areas, I got to tell you, I found something really great. Uh, Condé Nast Traveler released – oh, my God, it's blocked. I can't see it – released uh, an online guide called Etiquette 101, your guide to tipping around the world. I was fascinated because we think we know we've been to a few countries and we think we're okay with certain things. You know, for example, you go to some countries and they have what they call a bread and water charge or a service charge that's already on your bill. And that's considered the tip. You might want to round up from there for exceptional service. Um, But it went into things like, you know, Asia and all these other countries that are really foreign to me that I've never visited to think this is how they're expecting tips. One of the things that they said was, if you are in India and you do not tip, they will chase you. They will run out of the restaurant and chase you down. You know, when we go overseas, when we go someplace else, we actually tend to tip, even though there are countries that it's not expected of us. I just think it's now becoming more acceptable worldwide or expected worldwide because of the amount of people who are traveling. Uh, and you, um, go, ahead, go ahead. I want to revisit something just for a second. When I was talking about buying a new thing, I was actually talking about a hairdryer. If you're spending $200 oh, no. oh, on your, no. <laughs> on your hair straightener, I would then tell you, yes, make sure you are buying the appropriate converter for that right because yes. otherwise it's a completely different instrument yes. otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to plug it in and fry it right so then you not only are without one now you have to buy another right. one here and another one yeah. there so Agreed. i guess that was my point phew thank god i'm glad we settled that argument i was, was worried about it say really how long have you been sitting on that 
apparently through tipping <laughs> Bellman. I believe that even though they might be paid for that position, I think that that's a service that deserves to be. If tipped. someone's dragging my luggage exactly. around, which is chances are is heavy, heavy because we're buying bigger than Tracy. Okay, exactly, exactly. Because I'm buying real luggage. Um, I also like to tip anybody who has access to my things outside of my eyeshot. I agree with you. Right. I tip so, the valet. Drop the car off. Right. Tip the valet. Yes, the me car. too. Because he's taking the car. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to take my luggage and store it for a little bit, or there's going to be a period of time where I'm not going to see it, I want you to know how much I appreciate how hard you're working mm-hmm. to make my luggage make it safely. So. I agree. Um, anything else on tipping? Something we didn't cover. Do you want to talk about the hair straightener? Anything else on hair products? I can tell you. I hope we get that you can put this in the show notes or someplace because this guide I thought was fascinating about different (laughs) tipping finances. A lot of folks, what should I do? How much should I bring if I'm going someplace where the currency is different than uh, my home country? How much do I bring in cash? Um, Can I have access to cash when I'm away? Um, should I get traveler's checks? I mean, there's a no. lot of anxiety over no. that. <laughs> Don't right. get traveler's checks. Exactly. In this day and age, do not get traveler's no. checks. It's just a waste of time and just ridiculous. I do think it's a good idea to have some local currency to get you started. And this is not – I'm not talking about a cruise. When you're taking a cruise, especially a typical eastern, western, you're going to Mexico or whatever place you're going, these are all U.S. dollar ports. I'm talking more, you know, you're going to Europe. You're going – in these situations, I say it's always great to start with some local currency. I wouldn't want to carry all of my vacation funds with me in currency. I would like exactly. to know that I've spoken to my bank ahead of time to figure out how I can access it there. And then, you know, you've, you've always got Visa and different things like that. Um, I Also, when you're taking money out of an ATM in another country... It sounds like a silly thing, but some people don't realize they're taking it out in that currency. So be aware of how much you're taking. You end up with, you know, you don't want to end up with a lot at the end that you're not going to need because you're certainly not going to exchange it back at the same rate that you bought it. When we're traveling out of the country and I have enough time, I watch the exchange rate. Exchange rates fluctuate week to week, day to day. I don't watch every day. I just pay attention. And then what I do is I have a service through my bank where I can get any currency worldwide that I want through my bank. And I will tell them I want a couple hundred dollars, depending on how long we're going to be in a certain area. We like to get off the plane, the ship. Mm -hmm. The train with that money yes. in case you want to buy a bottle of water, exactly. in case you, you know, want to, to take a taxi. A taxi right? I would also try to, I would suggest getting a mixture of bills. So sometimes like I'll go to exchange money at my bank and they'll give Perfect me large example, bills. Yeah. Those are not going to help me when I get off and I need to pay for a taxi or tip a, a valet or, a, you know, somebody who's helping me with my bags. The other so. thing is there are several places when you're out of the country where haggling is expected. Right. It's easy uh, to haggle with cash. Right. Do not Express haggle card. in – if it's a storefront, if it's an actual brick-and-mortar storefront, chances are haggling is not going to work. If it's a street market or a uh, flea market, whatever, I think they expect you to haggle. It is easier to haggle with a 20-euro note in your pocket than a 100-euro right. note. Right. Tracy talks about ATMs. Perfect. Make sure you, you – know, ATMs are everywhere now. It's just the way money is handled. Uh, make sure you talk to your bank about fees. 
um, exchange rates? What are you going to pay exactly for that money that you're taking out? A suggestion on ATMs as well. Be very aware of the type of ATM you're using. You know, if it's in a dark alley somewhere and there's a standalone ATM or kind of a seedy location on the side of the street, be careful because there are out there portable ATM machines and you can find them like that. You want to, if possible at all, use a bank's ATM, even if it's not your bank. If it's in um, a hotel it, lobby. Hotel lobby is usually. And I'm of the practice now. My card's been compromised a couple times and both times was an ATM. I'm in the practice of kind of where the card goes in, giving that a little tug. You know, just double checking, seeing if there's one of those readers in there. Exactly. So be very aware of where you choose to use the ATM. I would also tell you that if there's a money changing operation that's very convenient to your departure or arrival point, it's your worst rate. Exactly. (laughs) It's the worst rate possible. You are going to pay the worst exchange rate. If you are getting on a train and there's a person over there, we'll exchange your cash for wherever you're going, you are going to. Take a bath. It's also the fee. They'll add a fee for that, for sure. Um, Obviously, we want to say people use your credit cards as much as possible, especially cards that are designed for travel that would have protection on them in case uh, you're away and your card is stolen or lost. I don't think this needs to be said, but credit cards like Discover are not worldwide. Right. Right. They are not useful outside of the United States. Diners Club. Yeah. I don't do it. Um, Visa, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, these are pretty much international. Some of the smaller cards are not. Contact your bank ahead of time and make sure that you Another good let thing them to know do, you're traveling. Right. Let your bank and your credit cards know that you're traveling because there's nothing worse than going to make a purchase, purchase and finding out that your credit card has been frozen because you didn't let the credit card folks know that you're in anywhere. Excellent. Um I have a whole bunch more, but I think we're going to stop there because I like this format, and I think we're going to save a bunch of these for another show. What do you think? Are we going to do the show now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's save this for another show. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. All right. Um, If we have not covered a topic you'd like us to cover on our odds and ends show, you can write to me, john at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com, and I will add it to my list and make sure we talk about it. But I've got a whole bunch of other stuff here that we just don't have time to get to. So thank you guys very much for the conversation. Thank you, everybody at home, for listening and watching. We hope you have a great week, and we hope you have a great vacation. (laughs) 